Leadership File on Premiere. Welcome to the Leadership File with me, Andy Peck. Welcome to the show that aims to help change the way you lead. With a referendum on whether we should stay inside the European Union coming up, our minds have turned to links with our European neighbours. Whatever your personal view of the issue, what we do know is that Europe as a whole has been a challenging environment for the gospel, with many nations within the EU seeing a decline in church attendance and further antagonism towards Christianity and elements of its teaching. As most of the continents of the world see church expansion, it is Europe which is largely seeing a decline. Christians in the UK have long sensed their responsibility to send mission partners to parts of the rest of Europe where the church is numerically weaker. And so the referendum seems a good excuse to look at a snapshot of the kind of challenges the gospel faces. So I'm joined by Chris Wigram, the National Director of European Christian Mission. Its stated mission is to plant and develop churches throughout Europe. So welcome back to the Leadership File, Chris. Great, it's good to be back with you again, Andy. I think we, uh, you were my guest uh, early on into your time with, with ECM. Um, obviously, mission thinking has been long, a large part of your life. Perhaps remind us a little bit of where it's taken you. Yes, well, I was uh, converted in the Philippines in 1979, and when I was converted, I was called into mission. And the result of that was five years with um, Operation Mobilization with the two ships, the Logos and the Doulos. Then a time at London School of Theology where I think we met. Yes, indeed. And then after that, I joined uh, OMF International that was formerly the China Inland Mission and worked in the Philippines in theological education for uh, nine years before coming back to the UK to work as the uh, OMF National Director in this country. When that came to an end, I was wondering what to do and I had the opportunity to apply for the job as the International Director of the European Christian Mission and that's what I'm doing now. And this is now, what, eight years into it? Well, yes, indeed. So, I mean, any Christian leader, and especially a church leader, ideally needs to think strategically about the area in which they live and the networks within which they have influence. Uh, you have some very different contexts, obviously, in, in ECM. You have established churches through the very new church planning situation. So perhaps you can take us through some of the more generic questions a, a church leader is having to ask and answer. And then maybe we could look at some of the approaches uh, taken and what's seen fruit and, and perhaps what hasn't. Uh, when you're dealing with the European continent, of course, you're dealing with a huge variety of uh, things to take into consideration. Mm. I always try to encourage our candidates to look into as much as possible of the country in which they are understanding the history the the christian history particularly you know did the reformation come there and if not why not and um, different aspects of um, social thinking anthropology anything they can possibly learn about the country with the within which they work and because we have such a difference say between italy and portugal and sweden and uh, france my role really is to help people to do some of the analysis that's needed. And one thing I've become known for a little bit in ECM recently is, is these two phrases. Number one is I want us to be theologically uh, conservative and ecclesiologically adventurous. <laughs> and by that, I mean, Europe doesn't need any more speculation about the Bible. Um, liberal theology, a lot of interesting thinking has emptied many of the churches of their congregations. So I'm wanting our ECM partners in mission across the continent to be people who know how to understand the Bible for themselves, to um, teach it, and then to interpret it for the context in which they are. 
that then become leads into the second half of the phrase, which is being ecclesiologically adventurous, in that across Europe today there are many, many forms of churches, and some of them have proved to be less than attractive to the modern generation. So we have to give people leeway. I can't say what you're doing in Portugal you've got to do in Italy. I can't say what you're doing in, in, in the Netherlands you need to do in Croatia. What I can say is that each of you have got a different context. Mm. You need to understand that context, where it's come from, and plant the kind of church that can really uh, give a witness to the Bible that you yourself understand when it talks about the um, importance of fellowship, breaking of bread, preaching, prayer, and creating communities which make a difference locally because there's a lot of tension in many places at the moment across Europe and I do believe the opportunity to plant Bible believing churches is at least a small witness to the ways that people can live together. Right, right. So a, a few situations maybe to expand that, that kind of premise? Well <clears throat> we're very well plugged into a lot of different uh, movements across the continent. At the moment we have um, our churches in Spain, they're drawing down advice and leadership from Norway as they look at a what might, one might call a collaborative church planting project. Mm. And uh, that is a, a movement of like-minded people from lots of different churches, all of whom want to plant churches in Spain. So Norway's helping Spain at the moment, but at the same time, we have our own church planting consultant in the European Christian Mission, he has the opportunity uh, to work beyond our own parameters, but also within our own parameters and to advise our church planters in a lot of the different um, issues that they face. And he's advised um, not only um, within ECM, but also Lausanne and the European Leadership Forum. I think he's one of the church planting uh, consultants there. So we have plenty of different opportunities. Another opportunity which came up recently was in the city of Porto in Portugal, where um, a couple of people with a more or less a Presbyterian background from two different agencies, one from ECM, got together alongside the Portuguese Evangelical Alliance to do an analysis of Porto and say, actually, you know, do you need another church here? Because that's such an important question to ask. Because so often you get people who come over and say, I'm going to go and plant a church in such and such a place. But they never ask the question, well, who's there already? Hmm. So... That's an important question for us to ask. Who's there already? And that doesn't mean to say that you won't go there because, of course, many parts of towns and cities don't have a particular witness. But it's a question of finding out where the particular need is, where the vacuum is, and then collaborating with local Christians in order to be effective in that situation. So all the time we're looking to try to work as collaboratively as possible with the advice from local Christians to plant churches where they are most needed. Yeah, um, and you're looking to establish a work in uh, in the Balkans. I saw from the website using Christians formerly in Ukraine and Brazil. I'm just <laughs> fascinating kind of combination of cultures there. Yes, How did that well, come about? Yeah, well, the Balkans. We 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 have been um, working in the Balkans for many years. If if you go back to um, the opening of Albania, we had a a particular um, senior worker now with the European Christian Mission who 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 felt that God was calling him to Pristina well before the uh, that's in Kosovo, well before the Albanian borders opened up, in order that he could learn the language, so that when Albania opened up, he was ready to go in. So he had four years of learning the language. Albania opened up at the end of well. uh, 1989. 90, he was able to go in and was able to lead a team in Albania for, um, for the first few years 
and um, that went extremely well. So we've been in places like um, Slovenia, Croatia, Albania, these sort of countries for a while. And I have to say that after the Balkan War slipped off the radar, most people have seemed to neglect those countries. There isn't too much going on in places like Bosnia. I mean, there could be more. Uh, There's something going on in Serbia. Slovenia is, is, is doing reasonably well. But even Croatia is a bit of a challenge. And this thing you mentioned here about the the uh, Brazilians and the Ukrainians, it does seem a little bit bizarre. But um, we do have Brazilians within the European Christian Mission, and anybody who's worked with Brazilians will know they will bring in an infectious enthusiasm to all that they do. And what we found is that they come in and they really help on the evangelism and the stimulating of local uh, church outreach and evangelism in developing different ways of doing things. And the Ukrainians have been helping us. They have linguistic affinities with the Croatian language, so it's not as difficult for okay. them mm-hmm. to learn the language right. as it is for the, for the Brazilians, which is a bit of a challenge, nevertheless. <laughs> and, and they've come in and they do some of what I would call the, um, the church strengthening, the discipleship, the teaching, and giving the whole project a bit of stability. And Croatia is a country in which... Um, there's not been a slow increase of believers, but we'd really like to see this increase a little, a, a lot more. And this is just something that came about really through someone putting together two things that one wouldn't normally put together, <laughs> two <laughs> groups of people. And so far, so good. Unfortunately, at the moment, our Brazilian contingent is severely hampered by the um, downturn of the economy in Brazil, which means that um, a lot of their support is having to be um, re-established. And things right, like that. sure, mm. sure. Um, I, I mean, many n- nations... Uh, in, in Europe, obviously, there's an established church. You hinted earlier that, um, you know, you in one sense, we don't need more theological reflection. There's, you know, uh, a Catholic church th- throughout many European countries. Um, to what extent are you able to work with, with say, the Catholic church? That's, that's a good question. I'd like to broaden it just beyond the Catholic church. When, when I'm talking about uh, the continent of Europe, I talk about... Um, what I call the three Christendoms. You've got mm-hmm. Catholicism, you've got um, the Eastern Orthodox Church, and you've got Protestantism. And that more or less covers mm-hmm. the 90% of the, the cultural background with which we work, apart from those places which were influenced by Islam, like Albania, Kosovo, and places like mm-hmm. that. Okay. Now, in all of those particular um, Christendoms, you have signs of God's presence and God's working. Also, you have signs of um, decay. And um, to the extent that we can work with local people is to the extent that the local people are willing to work with us. Not everybody welcomes a church plant in their parish, but we're certainly opening, open to working with the people who have a commitment to what I mentioned earlier, a commitment to the scriptures and a commitment to the church. Um, and so those opportunities are around, but I would say they were more easily available in, in, in what I call the Protestant part of the world than, say, mm-hmm. in the Catholic or the Orthodox part of the world, where sometimes you may, may meet with a bit of, um, a bit of hostility from some of the, the local uh, religious leaders, depending on uh, what their particular attitude. Because Pope, pope Francis has st- stated you know, the desire, as the previous pope did, to re-evangelize the Catholic Church. Yeah. Oh, clearly that has to filter down to to the local level and people have to imbibe that and appreciate that or, or not certainly the uh, <clears throat> the last two popes have been very uh, helpful in terms of raising the profile of evangelism uh, within the um, catholic church and uh, to the extent that we can help them do that and to um, point the 
uh, people that we work with in the Catholic countries where we work to the scriptures and let them come to their own conclusions about uh, what the Bible is saying, then we're, we're extremely willing to um, feed off anything. I mean, in Europe, things sometimes are so so um, barren that we're, we're willing to talk with and to feed off anybody who's making comments on sure, sure. on spirituality or, or Christian faith across the continent. Okay. Someone once asked me, uh, you know, who's the number one theologian in Europe? And after a while, I began to think, I thought, well, it's probably the Pope <laughs> <laughs> who has an influence across no, the whole sure. board, you know, yeah. because if you have a Protestant theologian, they may be influential in the Protestant countries, but no. not necessarily influential elsewhere. I, I appreciate obviously there's a, also a lot, you know, sometimes Catholics use similar terms to Protestants but mean mean slightly different things and that sure. sometimes on, the, sure. on a local level makes it harder to, sure. you know, the, their, their concept of evangelism will be different from the classic Protestant one, for example. It, it will be and that's where when I say to our members, I want you to be biblically literate, I want people to be able to hold their own in that particular discussion. Yeah. To yeah. be able to explain what we mean by evangelism, pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ, the fact that Jesus will transform people's lives um, within that context because, as you said, words have different meanings. You can't assume that what you think a word means means that to the people who are listening to you, yeah. <laughs> which, of course, is all about contextualization. <laughs> <laughs> indeed, indeed. We're listening to Leadership File with me, Andy Peck. I'm joined this week by Chris Rigram. Chris is the uh, National uh, Director of European Christian Mission. We'll be back just after this. Welcome back to the Leadership File with me, Andy Peck. I'm joined this week by Chris Wigram. Chris is the National Director of European Christian Mission, where we were talking before the break of the, the challenge of the gospel in Europe. This is partly in, in lieu of the fact that we're coming up to an election, uh, sorry, a referendum regarding uh, whether to, whether uh, the UK will stay as part of the European Union or, or not and what that what might look like in the future. And it, we're using this as a kind of excuse to reflect a little bit upon the, uh, the challenges of communicating the gospel within the, uh, the, the continent of Europe. And obviously that includes... Uh, UK being part of Europe as well, so, so Chris, uh, one of the, the stereotypes is that the established church in Europe inoculates people against what we might regard as, as as a kind of the true gospel, and so just as in the UK, a lot of nominal Church of England style kind of makes people think they know what mm. Christianity is, mm. even though they don't. Is that would that be a kind of a stereotype that that holds true for many European countries? Uh, often when you're talking to people, as I mentioned uh, previously, in the, the one of the three Christendoms, uh, Protestant, mm. Catholic or Orthodox, especially in the other two, the final two, Orthodox and Catholic, people will often um, avoid a discussion about the Bible or about Jesus by saying, oh, I'm a Catholic, or I'm Orthodox. So they'll retreat back into the particular religious cultural ghetto mm. in some senses in order to avoid a conversation. Um, but uh, overall, of course, you don't have... Um, denominations or people criticizing the work that we do specifically but of course you have different understandings of the bible and the gospel and i think one of the things that i've been made more aware of is the difference between what i might call an anglo-saxon um, cultural background and then a continental cultural background so when you think that a lot of missionaries do come from the United States or from Australia or from Britain, which are more Anglo-Saxon orientated cultures, sometimes we haven't been very good in understanding the, the, the culture on the continent. And it, it, it does highlight the point that sometimes people feel they're so familiar with Europe, either because they, they were once colonized by one of the European powers, so they think they know about France or Britain or the Netherlands, etc., that they assume they understand the culture. 
And even we as Europeans move around, we think, oh, we're just moving around the continent, we all call it Europe. But there's huge differences, huge and vast differences culturally. And so everyone has to do that um, task of understanding the local culture in order to be able to um, preach the gospel effectively in it. And the answers you'll come to in, say, Rostock in Germany will be very different from what you'll come to in one of the big cities like Paris or Lisbon. Um, so our responsibility is to preach what we regard as the gospel and to the extent that other people um, militate against it is the extent of the kind of evangelistic discussion we're going to have. Sure, sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, there are other mission agencies obviously working in some of the nations you're working in. Um, it would be lovely to say that we all get on as a, a lovely, happy family, but does that, I mean, does that happen on the ground? By and large, I think it does. I yep. think you need to, when you're looking at um, cooperation, you look at two levels. One is the, the um, cooperation that you need for mobilization. For example, all of our missionaries who come from Germany are sent to us by Deutsche Mission Gemeinschaft. So they do the mobilization for people. We have about 16 at the moment who are working across the continent. And DMG, as they're known, they send people with all sorts of different agencies all around the world very effectively, and they're a great group to work with. So on one sense, you've got cooperation for mobilization. In some senses, you could probably have more of that in that, you know, where you've got a country like uh, like Germany, which has that facility, you know, wonder to yourself, well, why are other organizations setting up their own recruiting um, stations in order to challenge Germans into mission? Sometimes there are local reasons for that, which which one understands. The other side of things, of course, is the, the area of ministry. Now, there's only one other agency that has Europe particularly as a focus, and that's the Greater Europe Mission, which is a North American mission, even though they themselves are trying to internationalize at the moment. Now, we work very effectively with them. I've been to their headquarters in the States. They've been with us. We've exchanged personnel. We've done different projects. So with our main... Um, our main friends across the continent we work closely. And then you've got the other agencies like Operation Mobilization, Youth with a Mission, who work worldwide but have significant work in Europe. And um, the short-term teams are often very supportive of our longer-term ones, and it's not unknown for people to come from those agencies after a couple of years to join European Christian Mission because they want to go more long-term and go more in-depth. So I would say that... Mostly at the moment, I sense a good sense of partnership across the continent, probably because we're all in a, um, a slightly declining situation, so we do need to work together. We do have to make the mo most of our resources. Um, I would Overall, I'd say it's quite positive. You rarely meet agencies that won't work with you for for one reason or another, though I can think of one or two. Sure. Okay, <laughs> for, we, won't, we won't say one here. Okay, um, I mean, we can't look at the gospel in Europe without looking also at the, the refugee yeah, crisis. And the rise of Islam. Um, I mean, you have wish missionaries working specifically with refugees, I understand. Here. We do, yes. And um, I think historically, you have to understand that European Christian Mission has been around a, a long time. It was founded in 1904. Uh, I always call it the last of the faith missions from the point of mm. view of the history of around those faith missions, of which the China Inner Mission was the first. Because of our longevity across the continent, you know, we have worked with refugees all the time. During the Second World War, European Christian Mission mm. worked with refugees. And uh, more recently, we have had refugee work going on on the continent for 10, 15 years. So uh, the only difference between then and now is the fact that everything has had to be ramped up to a much more intense level. And we don't, we're not really an aid agency. We can't jump in there and do many of those things that um, 
needed to be done immediately for refugees, though during the Kosovo crisis we did because we had people on the ground. But um, now we have a uh, Muslim and migrant ministry team which is particularly looking over those kinds of issues. And I think you have to distinguish between the refugees who've just come recently into Europe and what I would call the settled population. That's migrants who've come into Europe who've been here many years come on the different waves that of migration we've had over the last 20, 30, 40 years. And you, you can see those peoples ensconced in all of the cities of Europe. And most of our church planting teams, even if they don't have a particular emphasis on migrants, there will always be migrants in their midst. If you go to, to um, Tremor in Southern Ireland, you'll find a number of Nigerians there. I think after nine years, they've just been granted settled status. Right. You know? And they've been looked after by the church in that very... Mm interim period of not quite knowing what's going to happen oh. to them. So all around Europe, you, you will come across migrants, some obviously in some places more than in others. But um, if, if, if it works out that the migrants are going to be dispersed across the European Union, then all of our teams are going to come up against okay. uh, or with migrants. It, it, it's, it's sometimes felt that um, when, when someone travels away from their home area, that they're more open to the gospel potentially because they're you know they're away from you know, the, the faith of their mm. founding and obviously mm. in the islam we've got you know middle eastern countries people have left those areas to come to europe but also obviously where they're in a country if there's a number of them they create an enclave and so actually they're even more passionate for their faith how, how have you found the, the, the degree of, of fervor for islam in the nations where you're seeking to church plant I think this um, has something to do with the different generations. The first generation of Muslims that came over to um, Europe were very keen to um, to integrate or at least to be able to be a part of the society as much as possible. They prided themselves on getting a job, providing for their family and, and bringing stability. But as time has gone on, when you're talking about the settled population, it seems as though um, many of the second or third generations have looked at their parents and said, well, in some senses, you weren't teaching us the true form of Islam. And so they've looked... Um, maybe online or, or for other kinds of influences. So there is definitely an issue there in terms of um, uh, generations of people who are, who are looking for something to live for. And, I, and of course, I mean, I would not want to separate that from what you might call the meaninglessness of many people's lives in Europe as a whole, not just the migrant enclaves. I mean, many European people don't seem to know what they're living for. There is a sense of meaninglessness across the continent. And whether it is a migrant or settled Muslim population, or whether it's just the European population around them, the, the host population, you might like to call them, we want to give them the opportunity to, to have some meaning in life, you know. So um, the answer to your question is that there's a huge variety of different things going on, depending on how long people have been in the country. And that is why as I said earlier, I want people to be ecclesiologically adventurous so they can mm. plant the church that, that meets that particular need. That's why you have to understand the local context. Yeah. And obviously, many, many list, most listeners will be in the UK, and that will be exactly the same issue for us, that, that we're in a country where you know, it's po we're in a post-Christian world where increasingly numbers are, have, have, have no, are no longer attending church or believing that the, the, what we would regard as the normal doctrines of the faith. Yes, absolutely. And that means that... Um, what, what, what you have in the, the UK as across the continent is that uh, all evangelism and all mission is cross-cultural. We have to have an understanding of where people are coming from. Yeah. Well, you've been listening to The Leadership File with me, Andy Peck. I'm joined this week. I've been joined this week by Chris Wigram. So, Chris, thank you so much for all that you've shared. It's great to be with you. 
Great. Well, whether whether you're going to vote for uh, staying staying as part of the EU or not, um, we we do need to be continually uh, prayerful for the, the 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 continent of Europe and uh, obviously for the UK and its evangelistic impact. It's a one continent within the uh, within the continents of the world where where sadly the church is declining. And uh, thank thanks to Chris and his uh, those who who are work and the front line of seeking to. Uh, to establish the gospel in, in places where, where sadly so many uh, don't know God. So so thank you, Chris. Thank you for having me. Uh, so do uh, log on to Premier's own website and you can uh, listen to archived versions of the Leadership File, as, of course, as always. You can lo- log on to the Leadership File on iTunes if you want to um, get all the uh, recordings of the Leadership File just uh, to your listening device. You can do that via that means as well. I look forward to your company again next Sunday at 3.30. Thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to The Leadership File on Premier. Andy Peck serves as a tutor at CWR, a Christian charity whose courses and publications aim to apply God's word to everyday life. Contact him via email apeck at cwr.org.uk.